For a lot of people, I think they think that their dog is made of porcelain or, you know, we have to protect them at all costs and anything that they don't want to do, they don't have to do. Dogs are far more resilient than humans and I don't think we give them enough credit for that. Hello and welcome back to Honest to Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer with my co-host, Jeff Gadway. Hi, Liz. Hiya. How you feeling after us taking a week off? A little rusty. A little rusty. Are you nervous? <laughs> no, my palms are not sweating currently, but that might change. <laughs> well, thank you for bearing with us while we took a week to kind of refresh, recharge, spend a little bit of time with our cute 11-month-old nieces, get mm-hmm. to know them a little better. We're back and we're ready for some more Honest to Dog. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Before we get into today's episode, the one about stress, wanted to share a win and fail from this week for me. And I don't know if, if you have anything that comes to mind, but you know, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional and reflect a little bit more and learn from my experiences. And so I wanted to share kind of one win and one fail as it related to my dog training experience. So my win, I was walking the boys and all of a sudden I realized they're in like the perfect position. And for those of you who maybe haven't seen me walk the dogs, none of you have probably seen me walk the dogs. <laughs> Baker has a tendency to sometimes challenge my boundaries, right? And I think, you know, reality is, you know, I probably need to practice more discipline and boundaries with him. Um, I try to work on it on walks, but, you know, he, he likes to be ahead of where I would like him to be. But today, everything was perfect. Everything was clicking. He was in the perfect spot, way behind me. Ty was in the right spot. And I was just feeling like I was in the groove. And so I think that's my big win. And then, you know, I was trying to just maintain that. But it's one of those things. It's like as soon as you, you know, realize that you're in the perfect spot, now you're you know, out of the flow. You're out of the flow, right? Yeah, it's so, when you're like meditating and you're like, this is meditating. Oh, uh, damn it. Exactly. That's a, that's a great analogy for it. So I was I was fighting to stay in that flow the, the whole walk. But my my fail, and I think this is, it's not necessarily a fail. It's it's like a learning opportunity. Another walk that I was on with the dogs, there was a, another gentleman who had two dogs. Uh, they were kind of like medium, large sized dogs walking towards me. It was in kind of a wooded area. So uh, it was on a path, not a tremendous amount of open space, but I could see through his body language that he was concerned about how his dogs might react. I always assess the human. Yeah. I mean, I saw it from a mile away, right? Like he, he kind of like tightened up on the leashes, yep. did the death grip. And then he had, you know, one dog that he was trying to block and get his body, you know, kind of in between me and the dogs. And so I was aware that there could be a reactivity issue. And it crossed my mind, oh, I should give them extra, extra space so as not to, you know, trigger or incite any kind of a, a, a reflex there. And I think my fail is that I didn't listen to my instinct. I mean, I gave space. Don't get me wrong. I didn't like get all up in their yeah. personal space, but I could have given more space. And lo and behold, as soon as, you know, we got you know within kind of like five feet kind of thing or six feet, um, one of his dogs kind of reacted and 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 lunged out. And it wasn't like a, a an aggressive an aggressive thing, but like excited um, excited reactivity. And I was feeling kind of down about myself after that because I was like, ah, you know what? Should have listened to your gut. So I think mm-hmm. that's my fail, but also my learning. 
yeah always learning for the week. yeah always learning from that and you're absolutely right oh i always tell clients use space to your advantage that's such a an easy way for us to prevent things from happening and be safe. It it always has stuck with me ever since Heather Beck yelled at me. <laughs> she like lovingly. Wait, um, wait, wait. Heather Beck yelled at you? No. What? I just remember getting called out for not giving enough space to a dog who was potentially reactive. And I in my head, it was enough space, but I have come to learn like always overestimate. Yeah. Always give more. Put your dog on the other side. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's exactly the situation I was in on that walk was I, I was like, oh, this is plenty. But, you know, you can never be too generous, I guess. You know, like It's not it's, like... Yeah. It's just courteous. courteous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and then I felt bad because I was like, and I apologized to the guy. I'm like, I didn't really do anything wrong, but... I apologized anyway and I felt bad and then I, I started projecting like, oh, he probably feels bad that his dog... So it's that's just this why, whole thing, right? That's why I always try to smile at people with reactive dogs yeah. and I always say, it's all right. I, I, or, I said, I'm, I'm you know, sorry. You know, so it's totally okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Like, it's all good. Always show them love because yeah. I know inside their head they're probably telling themselves this horrible narrative with so much judgment yeah. and embarrassment layered on top and I know because I've been there and I just want to like hug them with my energy and just be like, you'll be okay. Yeah. Call me later <laughs> or listen <laughs> to the podcast. Listen to, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I feel like I had a win. Um, my win was while I was biking with the dogs, I haven't doubled up with them. So when I take both with just one bike and so I hadn't done that in a while because you usually have one and I'll take the other. So they were both doing so fantastic. We were just cruising along like no problem. And we passed a dog who I could tell was going to be reactive and they peeled off to the side and I was just like, we're going through. And it was just amazing. They just, how did the boys no issue. Do? And this dog completely lost it. And for them to just pay zero mind, I just was very, very pleased, very Congrats. happy. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. You never shared that one with me. Yeah. So that's a win. That's great. I can't think of a loss in the moment. Maybe it's because I don't lose and all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Sorry. <laughs> Feeling spicy. I love it. You're like dust sound machine. Today we're talking about stress, the one about stress. And I think this is a great topic. And, and I know it came up in conversation at the doghouse. And so, you know, oftentimes when something comes up at the doghouse, it's a good indication that it's a topic we should cover. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about stress today from both the perspective of the stress we put on our dogs or the lack thereof as well as kind of how that connects to the stress we feel as dog owners. Mm -hmm. So I guess my first question is, you know, why do you feel that we try to insulate our dogs from experiencing any kind of stress? We tend to infantilize our dogs and like, especially when we get them as puppies and we really try to prioritize everything as happy, happy, happy all the time, right? And it would be no different than doing that with an actual child and that's not realistic that's a very nice utopian dream but that's not life and there are going to be times that your child or your dog might have to endure something that's challenging and would you not rather prepare them and give them the skill set to handle that than never expose them at all and then it's thrust upon them and they have no 
idea how to handle it or cope. So what are some of the ways that you most commonly see dog owners bubbling their dogs from stress? I mean, I'll, I'll give you one example to kind of start the ball rolling, but, and I feel like I saw this just recently and I, I, I was going to call it out to you, but I didn't. I saw somebody with a puppy, our dogs were coming along and, and being perfectly like 10 out of 10 good boys, but maybe this person just hadn't had a whole lot of social interactions with their puppy. And so they pick the puppy up. Yeah. Pick the puppy up, remove any possibility of conflict, but in so doing, remove any opportunity for learning Mm -hmm. as well. Socialization, growth. What are some other examples of ways that we insulate our dogs from stress like that, that, that you see, you know, with your training clients? It could be something as simple as getting your dog to jump into the car. And if the dog puts up any sort of resistance or fight, we go, oh, oh, okay, like, you don't have to do that. Same thing with teaching a dog to go into the water. There might be things that they might put the brakes on and it's how you then handle and recover from that that builds trust and helps them learn, helps them grow, helps them build resilience. All of these amazing things that we want our dogs to have instead of backing away. I see it even when clients are introducing a new tool and we know that anytime a dog experiences something new, they will have a tendency to go through fight, flight, avoid, or jump straight to surrender if you're lucky. So if you're introducing a muzzle or if you're introducing over the nose, a halty, even a slip lead, and they, again, they kind of protest, so many clients will, or dog owners will write it off and go, he doesn't like it. So I'm not going to push any further. But I mean, I'm sure there are kids who don't like sitting in their car seat or having a seatbelt on, but that's a safety thing. And that's something you have to learn to adjust to. As you're talking about that, and specifically as you talked about a new tool, I was transported back to that first workshop that we did. I think we we did it before we even had Carmen here in, in Kitchener-Waterloo. And watching the trainer work with a dog through stress when they were trying to get the dog to maintain kind of a lie down and they had, um, you know, I think it was a martingale collar and, and leash on the dog and, you know, got the dog's head below its shoulders and then just sort of maintained that pressure mm-hmm. by like holding a kind of a foot against the, uh, the leash on the ground. And the dog like really was stressed and was, had to work through that. But I think the lesson there is like, yeah, it might be a little bit, difficult to watch, but we're projecting our own feelings on that situation. And the dog really just needs to work through that and and move through those stages of fight, flight, avoid to reach surrender. And as a result, they will have grown through that experience. Mm-hmm. And like knowing too, how to not play with that stress, but like just know the right amount to apply the right amount of pressure to apply so that you're not purposely sending a dog into a very tense, stressed situation where the only option is fight. If I'm forcing you to do something, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to get the highest reaction. So it's finding a minimal amount that's taught, that's tolerable, not painful, but enough to, to motivate change in the dog. That's what I want. And then I might get a bit of fight, maybe a little bit flight and then surrender. Many times it's just avoid and then surrender. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's working them through that, knowing just how much, and that's why you should work with a trainer who'll know, okay, that was too much, back off a little or increase a little here or stay with it. She's figuring it out. She's using her brain. She'll get it. I want to come back to that idea of calibrating stress in a second. But before we get into that in more detail, I'd love to hear your perspective on why some amount of experience or exposure to stress is important for a dog in terms of its developmental phases. For me, a little bit of learning Because even with humans, if we experience confusion, it means we're about to learn something new. If we experience frustration, it means we're about to have a breakthrough. And it's much similar with dogs. If I actually help you through these stressful moments, through frustration or through confusion, and you reach the other side, you actually gain confidence. Moreover, you gain trust in me, the person you just endured some stress with, who saw you through to the other side and was just like, nobody died. We've talked about this before, but it's kind of like the bachelor or bachelorette effect where if the bachelor or bachelorette and one of the contestants go through a very stressful situation where they've done something they've never done before that's outside of their comfort zone and they grow together, those are the relationships on the show that seem to be the most bonded or at least Mm -hmm. accelerate faster than some of the other relationships that are more surface level. So this is how, too, so many of the dogs at daycare bond to staff because I'll have them teach the dog something that they don't know. So that might be jumping on a tire or going through a tunnel or going in the pool. All these things, even just introducing the dog to the pack, right? And and going through that and going, oh, hey, this isn't so bad hey, I actually like this here. And oh my gosh, it was Liz that showed me the ropes. This is so cool. I really like Liz. They make that correlation. And I think you already had used the word. And if not, I think what we're really talking about here is comfort zone. Pushing a dog outside of its comfort zone just a little bit is how they're going to grow and evolve and become better and stronger and more resilient, just like us. Your, your comfort zone keeps you small. So this, I mean, and I've seen, I'm sure we've all seen that that infographic where it's sort of like comfort zone, the growth zone, the learning zone or something. I, I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but the thing that I've always struggled with a little bit is like how much stress promotes growth versus mm-hmm. distress, mm-hmm. right? Um, stress versus distress. Because I think stress can be healthy and 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 you see a lot of, individuals out there talking about like healthy stress versus unhealthy stress. How do you know when you're working with a dog what the right amount of healthy stress is that promotes that growth Mm -hmm. versus flipping over into distress? Like what are the signs you look for? How do you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is experience. You've been doing this for 10 years now, Mm -hmm. but kind of take me into that process, what you're looking for, what you're reacting to and, and how you kind of gauge that. Yeah, that's a really good question. For me, it's a feeling. I don't want a dog to go into a a heightened state of panic. I really like because at that point, the brain closes. I can't get through to you. That's like nervous breakdown. Like, I don't want that 
to be your experience and I really want to try and and be softer in the approach to me that would be a huge warning sign in my own training to to pump the brakes that's that's taking too far of a step so that would be a combination of heavy heavy panting uh, whale eyes which is when you can see the whites of a dog's eyes tension in the body if this dog is now looking to engage in in a fight now I've pushed it so far into defense that it's actually going into attack or defecating like all of those things like that's that is unhealthy stress I don't want to do that so I would reframe it and and go a little softer or try with something different a step back something moderated a little easier if you saw maybe one of those things out of the other, just the whale eyes or just panting or maybe just a bit of shaking or just a bit of whining, then that that's fine to stay right there. Don't increase, just stay and see it through to completion and to the full so- calm surrender. Well, I'm so glad you went there with that because as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about some of the training experiences I've had the opportunity to participate in with you whether it was introducing Heather's dog to the crate or working with Kevin on using a slip for the first time with with Fifi. I mean, and, and there's a bunch of other examples, but one of the things I feel like you do is dial up the stress incrementally, slowly, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't take a dog and throw it in the deep end. Or no. I'm mean, even thinking about Carmen. We rewatched a video of Carmen going in the water for the first time mm-hmm. in Bayfield recently. And it was like slow, slowly turning up the dial, yeah. right? And getting comfortable at a three and then turning it up to a four. Yeah. And you know, like this may be the wrong metaphor, you know, with the dial, but like t- turning it up slowly, but not, turning it back to zero, like yeah. helping her work through the stress to get yeah. to the other side, because that's where the growth is. Mm-hmm. It's not taking it up and then turning it off. Like you, you've, you haven't achieved anything. You haven't mm-hmm. grown through mm-hmm. that. If I stop at your heightened level, then I've just created the, an association of war, the worst. Exactly. That water is the worst or yes. crates are the yes. worst. No, you, you just, you nailed it better than, than I could have. It's, it's wherever you finish that's Mm -hmm. the imprint that's the memory that you've created so you really need to work through it in order to achieve the outcome Mm -hmm. or your dog will forever be afraid of it and probably you too if you do dial it way up that is a training approach um, and it's called flooding and we talked about that one in dog trainer reacts in one of in the first episode that we watched of canine intervention and and why it made had kind of gave me the an ick feeling was I was just like, there's another way to do this. We don't have to be that extreme. Now that we've talked about the difference between healthy stress and unhealthy stress and, and stress that leads to distress, what are some of the ways that we can help our dogs build resilience through exposing them to somewhat stressful situations in a, in a positive and constructive way. Like what are some of the things that, you know, you might advise dog owners try with their, their dogs to get them more comfortable and mm-hmm. more resilient in mm-hmm. potentially stressful situations. Like, you know, you sometimes call it like bulletproofing your dog, right? Mm-hmm. So or- that if they're presented with a stressful situation, it's no big deal. Yeah. I always recommend starting in the home and doing 
like what I call dress rehearsals is this isn't the real thing. This is a, a, a go through of the mock of what it could be like. So fireworks, I know that fireworks can be a potentially frightening thing for dogs to endure. If I have a sensitive dog, I could teach them place. Once they've mastered place, play really softly fire fireworks, I was going to call them firecrackers, play firework sounds off of YouTube or wherever softly because you're going to start, start low and then build up so that the dog can, when they have to experience that in real life, it's, it becomes not stressful. The whole point of this slow incremental exposure to some level of stress is that so when the big thing comes, it's not big and scary. It's not just because you're torturing your dog. The whole point is to make it easier for them long term. So there's desensitization to specific circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's fireworks. Maybe it's strangers. Maybe it's other dogs. Maybe it's new places. Like by exposing dogs to those specific circumstances, they're going to get better in those types of environments and in those situations. But do you also think that by doing that and just getting them more well-rounded and resilient with stress in general, it makes them more unflappable in mm -hmm. any circumstance? Or is it you need to train every specific situation? No, I think it's pretty generalized. If your dog's been in a car regularly since they were a puppy, they can be in an SUV, they could be in a bus, they could, you know what I mean? They could probably fly in an airplane. And it's it's more if you just keep your dog living in their house and in their backyard and doing neighborhood walks, they are going to have a heart attack when you put them in a car for the first time yeah. or you have them stay at a boarding facility or like anything outside of that comfort zone holy, that's going to be a lot of stress for that dog. Yeah. And I guess what I was thinking about is like maybe transitioning into stress and people. If you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which I know is one of your mm, favorite sayings, mm -hmm. if you get comfortable with being uncomfortable in any situation or in general, you're just more resilient overall. Yeah. Right. Like mm -hmm. the more you get comfortable doing uncomfortable things, the more you're able to just tackle new things in general. So I feel like the same could be said for dogs. Like if you've done some of these activities, it just makes them more resilient in general. And yep. so you can take them new places, expose them to new things and feel confident that they're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, think about it too. Again, if it's this exposure helps to build a bond. If I've introduced a dog to, here's how you jump onto a tire. Here's how you go through a tunnel. Here's how you go in the pool. And now here's how you enter a pack. Everything becomes easier as we go. And when you step up to lead that dog, the dog's going to be like, well, you know, this person hasn't led me astray before. Mm -hmm. If they've, if they're comfortable that I've got this, then I've got this. Yeah. Well, just even thinking about how easy it was for us to have Baker and Ty do stand-up paddleboarding like the day that we just were like, we're going to do this and they do it and they're pro stars and they're not like the biggest fan of water. They've never been balancing on something in water and they nailed it. And it's because, yeah, I've taught them treadmill. I've taught them how to go in the water. I've taught them how to go upstairs. I've taught them how to be in a car like so many things, be in an elevator, all of these things that then 
become no big deal that this next big thing, no big deal. No big deal. So let's talk about kind of the human response to stress mm-hmm. and this is good. how that interacts with your dog. I mean, you've said time and time again, you know, our dogs are our mirrors. Whatever we are projecting, our dogs are going to reflect back on us. Mm-hmm. So if we're experiencing stress, whether it's work stress, family stress, personal relationships, whatever it is, that's going to have implications on our dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And stress is stress is a natural part of life, right? Like yeah. like you said off the top. You can't hide from it. You can't hide from it and you, you can't avoid it altogether, right? Um, some of it is circumstantial. Some of it is self-imposed, but, you know, stress is part of life. And so what are the things that we can do in terms of how we interact with our dogs or, or you know, lead for our dogs to try to be better leaders in stressful times. Does that make sense? I think so. What I would recommend is not taking things personally when it comes to working with your dog and seeing them experience some level of stress, trying not to project our own thoughts and feelings onto that because dogs are far more resilient than humans. And I don't think we give them enough credit for that. And like you and I know that having handicapable dogs, we see that they're resilient all the time. For a lot of people, I think they think that their dog is made of porcelain or, you know, that we have to protect them at all costs and anything that they don't want to do, they don't have to do. If I make you do something, am I a bad person? And so just lift that narrative off completely and just be in the moment with your dog and and assess what's going on and happening and and understand better too dog body language and psychology because if you google even what does a yawn mean with a dog the the answer is across the board and i always ask clients um what what does it mean when a dog yawns and they go stress the dog's stressed and i used to always say no that's not right but now i think i understand it better but it's not that the dog is stressed. It's actually that the dog is calming down. Ah. And so something like a yawn is a release. And so when I actually see a dog yawn, when I, we're working on something, to me, that's like, oh, the breakthrough. I go, thank you. I go, oh, that's really good. Versus so many people's responses when a dog yawns, like, oh my gosh, so stressed. Or if a dog shakes, that's a release of stress too. Like literally shake it off. And I go, that's amazing. Dogs shake during play. They'll be playing together. It might get a little heated. Then they might stop. Or if I have to step in and say, hey, cut it out. Um, and then they'll shake. And that to me is an indication of you guys got too high level. And I, I ended it just in time. And then you both let it go. That energy has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so they sh- literally shake literally it off. Literally shake it off. Interesting. How would you reconcile? That's a really good point. Like, Our dogs are not porcelain. They can handle a lot more than maybe we give them credit for. How do you reconcile that though with leveraging your dog as a crutch for your stress? Because I think Mm. we see that oftentimes, you know, and I know you and I have gotten a lot better with this where if we're feeling anxious or we're feeling sad, you know, it's like this this dog, its, its job is not to Take, a, take that away yeah, from us through osmosis. Exactly. You know, be a sponge. So how would you sort of reconcile the, you know, dogs are not porcelain with they're also not meant to be our emotional doormat? Mm-hmm. 
Well, this is a kind of hot topic, to be honest, in the dog training world. Hot take. With the whole notion of uh, emotional support animals and even therapy dogs where um, if we don't have some sort of healthy boundaries in place, those dogs pay the price. And a lot of the time it's really, really bad separation anxiety or just anxiety as a whole. Um, and what kind of bums me out is a lot of people don't know exactly what anxiety looks like. And so they'll think the dog is happy because it's panting and dogs mouths naturally kind of curve up and it looks like a smile and they'll wag their tail and they'll be in constant motion. And we're just like, Oh, you're so happy to see me. And it's just like, Whoa, that's actually a very stressed out dog. Right. We kind of create it with how emotional we can be around our dogs and cuddly and affectionate, especially during in those during those times. And then we nurture it too and we see the anxiety in our dogs. So it becomes so compounded. Um, but really it's about taking care of yourself first, making sure that you're doing everything necessary so that you can handle stress well. Because I know if I am not sleeping well, if I'm not eating right, if I'm not mentally all there, then I can become far more susceptible to overreacting to stress. Right. Versus if I'm taking really good care of myself, I can be more resilient. And then I don't pass it on to my dogs either. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think something that we've both gotten a lot better at, and I'm not saying we're perfect or that we're, you know, unflappable in this regard, but when we are feeling stressed or have an acute emotional response, I think we've gotten a lot better with articulating it. Well, articulating it to each other and acknowledging it ourselves, but as a byproduct of that, keeping it away from our dogs, right? Mm -hmm. Like going into the bedroom and, and not burdening the dog with that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like, okay, I need some alone time to cool off or to, to find balance mm-hmm. and let's not expose the dog to that unstable energy. Absolutely. Right? I've done that. I've yeah. gone for a drive and just been an absolute emotional wreck. And it's because I didn't want them exposed to that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that actually takes a lot of self-awareness, a lot of discipline. Yeah, because we want to, especially when we're sucky like that, we want to be cuddly and we want to have uh, unconditional love. And that's what our dogs offer us. And we have to know better and we have to do better so that we don't just pass that on. Because like you said, energy has to go somewhere and we just give it to our dogs who are emotional sponges a lot of the time. Because how would it work in a pack environment, right? Like mm, mm-hmm. how, how, how would how would stress come to come to, to bear in, in a pack? Like do the alpha dogs experience stress I mean, if they, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's, that's not a fair question, but like, you know, they're not going to show weakness in front of the middle and back of the pack dogs. Right. So I'm just trying to think about like, you know, what we were just talking about going for the drive instead of passing that stress along to the dogs and almost showing that you're not the leader that they need. I don't Mm. know if that's. Yeah, that makes sense. because a lot of the time when a dog is experiencing stress, what I know for sure doesn't happen is the other dogs don't give it affection. Right. They usually move away from it. Yes. So probably no different than, yeah, if an alpha was feeling a certain type of way, maybe they would isolate themselves then to be just like, no, but I don't know that. 
Yeah. That that no, but you you have mentioned that before that if there's a dog that's unbalanced or a dog that like they almost get ostracized by the pack yeah, a little bit. They're a little bit shunned. Yeah. Um or if it's really bad and there's an, a super alpha dog who wouldn't respect other authority of staff if you, and this is why it's so important that staff are able to handle dogs um because some dogs will attack that dog for going through that stress for being unbalanced and in the pack if it's going to sabotage their survival or their own energy state yeah but we don't have that yeah so i don't think we're saying hide your emotions from your dog no right suppression is also unhealthy yeah it will come out in another way it's just have have your human ways of dealing with things whether that's therapy whether that's meditation sleeping right eating right exercise. exercise yeah um, I know that's something that you, you're really good at when you can feel stress or frustration. You're like, I'm going to go do a spin on, spin on the bike downstairs. Like, yeah, I mean, it has to go somewhere. If I'm being totally honest, when, you know, the pandemic started in, you know, earlier 2020, I really threw myself into working out because that was how I dealt with the uncertainty and a little bit of anxiety, low key anxiety that I was feeling through the pandemic, right? Like that was my outlet so that I could be, you know, the the worker, boss, partner, dog, dad that I wanted to be, right? And everyone's got their own yep. ways. And I think identifying those ways to kind of process stress is important, right? Yeah. A good takeaway might be what's everybody, what do you have as your, in case of emergency protocol, right? If If your stress level gets so high, how are you going to manage it yeah. and have a game plan? Or just even have a everyday plan so that you can avoid that break o- open if needed. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing too, maybe the, the takeaway for me, because I know I have some of those strategies, but I think it's also okay for us just, you know, kind of coming full circle. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, like a frustration is usually the precursor to a breakthrough, mm-hmm. right? So getting comfortable being uncomfortable, getting comfortable being a healthy amount of stress, either as a driver or a catalyst is okay. And I know I need to get better with that too. Yeah. Like I think my, my, I have a, you know, an, an instinctual flight response or yeah. an, maybe actually I'm more avoid. Yeah. Right? I'm super avoid. And so getting more comfortable with moving through that stress as a catalyst and using it to like spur the next thing is is probably a a good thing too that's how we become more resilient i love it this is all kind of ironic coming from me who's like the most uncomfortable with being uncomfortable so it's something i'm working on you've grown a lot though in that respect you got to give yourself credit for that yeah but i still really hate discomfort (laughs) but well how 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 stressed are you in this moment on a scale of one to ten in this moment right now in this moment right now i'm pretty chill so my stress level is low. Like a two? Yeah. All right. Well, no, maybe. Maybe like a four. Okay. All right. There's always some stress there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your experiences with dog training and stress and the role stress can play for, for good and for bad. Yeah. I hope this was helpful for people just to usher your dog through, again, healthy amounts of stress. Um, don't push it too far and work with a trainer if you really need that extra support that's what we're here for as always thanks so much for listening and until next time stay calm and assertive 
If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. For all things training and daycare, check out doghouse.ca. D-O-G-H-A-U-S dot C-A.